Living Stones is a weekly conversation about living a truly Catholic life. Deacon Harold Burke Sivers and Ken Hellenius help you deepen your relationship with Christ and His Church, discussing practical ways to grow in faith, participate more fully in the liturgy, and practice charity towards all. Hello and welcome to Living Stones. I am your co-host, Ken Hellenius, sitting in my living room in the beautiful virtual studios that I have in South Bend, Indiana, and sitting across from me virtually in his fantastic library home office in his virtual studio is the deacon who is the best looking deacon ever to be arrayed in the liturgical color rose that I've ever met. Deacon Harold Burke Sivers. Hello, Deacon. Hey, Ken. How are you? I am well, thank you. Of course. Yeah, the sad part is you only get to wear those vestments a couple times a year. Right. That's, that's really it. Like twice. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Literally a couple yeah, times. Yeah, a year, exactly. Yeah. So we, uh, of course, are just coming off of uh, of Gaudete Sunday here in Advent, and we've talked many times uh, over the uh, course of uh, of our series. Uh, we've talked about the liturgical year and the meaning of Gaudete Sunday. And and a trivia question for you, Deacon. I'm going to see if I can stump you. So you get to wear rose on Gaudete Sunday and on what other Sunday during the liturgical year? Latare Sunday. Ding, 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 ding. Exactly. <laughs> Latare Sunday, which happens to fall in the fourth week of Lent. So Gaudete Sunday on the third Sunday of Advent, Latare Sunday on the fourth week of Lent. So basically it comes two thirds of the way through Lent and three quarters of the way through Advent that we get to wear this little rose. And we've talked before about the meaning of this color which is related to the purple color, which is the dominant color of the Advent season and the Lenten season. Rose, or sometimes people just shorten it and say it's pink, is a shade that is related to purple. So it recalls the primary color of the season, which is usually purple um, in, in Advent and Lent. In Advent, it reminds us of the royal nature of Christ, as well as the penitential nature of the season of Advent, of preparation for the first coming and for the coming at the end of time. And it's and it's very similar in in uh, Lent then as well. So uh, we have, the of course, the, the season of preparation for the passion, death, and resurrection of the Lord. So the dominant color is purple because it's a call to repentance. But this light shade of rose is a kind of a little bit of a hopeful uh, shade, but is still related to purple. So I actually got to write a little bit about that. Uh, did I mention, by the way, Deacon, that I'm now writing a monthly column for the diocesan newspaper of uh, the Diocese of Fort Wayne South Bend? Yeah, you did mention that. I think you uh, said that it came out of your uh, talk that you gave on humor. Yeah, humor right? and, and joy. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, humor and joy, yeah. So, yeah, so the column in Today's Catholic is called Humor in the Mix. And, uh, yeah, it really does. Uh, my my charge each month is to write about how humor and joy uh, are lived out in the life of faith. And in my column that aired, uh, that, aired that was published just at the end of, of uh, November, kind of leading into this Advent season, I really wrote a little bit about these colors and how Gaudete Sunday and pink and purple are related, or rose and purple, I I think I wrote it as pink as I think about it, but uh, yeah, it is just a little sign of joy for us, a little sign. And of course, the word Gaudete itself means to rejoice. It comes from St. Paul's letter, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say to you, 
rejoice. And so that's that's what we're all about here. Of course, it's a joy to hang out with you every week here uh, on Living Stones, Deacon, and uh, and I'm glad to be back with you again. Yes, always great to be with you, Ken. I always enjoy our time together very much. Fantastic. Well, you know, we have been talking about pilgrimage, and we've been discussing this fantastic document from 1998 that was published by the Vatican in preparation for the Great Jubilee, and the document was called The Pilgrimage in the Great Jubilee. Uh, And so we've been talking about kind of the theological pastoral nature of what a pilgrimage is, and over the last few weeks we've explored uh, how pilgrimage worked in the life of the church, kind of the the very motion of people towards God, especially in the Old Testament, and then in the life of Christ. And then last week we just started talking about the work of pilgrimage and the act of pilgrimage in the living and ongoing life of the Christian church. And so uh, this week we're going to pick up our conversation with paragraph 14. Yeah. And uh, so we're continuing to talk about uh, kind of the history of pilgrimage uh, in the church. And we talked last week about how in the early church, once um, Christianity became uh, legal, and you could practice your faith, how people began, started to want to travel to see the, the places, particularly in the Holy Land, that they've heard about in the scriptures for so many years. And Finally, they were able to travel to the Holy Land and visit the place where Jesus lived and worked and taught. And that was really kind of the start of the idea of pilgrimage. Uh, And we also talked about last time, Ken, about how really these journeys on these pilgrimages are really spiritual journeys. Mm -hmm. And that and often you don't even have to go if, you know, for some reason, physical or or financial, you can't actually go on pilgrimage that you join spiritually with those who are at those holy sites. Again, which is, I mentioned last time, one of the reasons why I post my videos um, that I that I do on pilgrimage so people can share in that experience if they're unable to go and, and hopefully bear some spiritual fruit and connect themselves. Um, just like, you know, it's, we talked about spiritual communion with the Eucharist, if you can't get to Mass. It's that same understanding. It's, it's again, quite beautiful. And so I, I'm always cognizant of that when I'm on pilgrimage, that, because as a deacon, I'm representing, I represent the people at the altar. And so I, I kind of feel a, a, an obligation, responsibility to share that experience with others. And I am representing in my physical presence at these sites, people who, for whatever reason, you know, are, are not able to be there. So I, so it, this is much more than just going on pilgrimage to see stuff. You know, it's, <laughs> yeah. it's really a, a spiritual experience that connects us all more deeply with our faith and to Jesus himself. I love that idea. You are virtually bringing us uh, along with you uh, through the videos that you post and through the, you know, kind of your social media and things like that. You're bringing us with you on the many journeys that you get to take around the world that really, again, connect us to the church literally around the world. The, the very meaning of the word Catholic is universal. And so when you travel or I travel and we, we post photos that allows other people to experience even virtually as if they were there in a way. Of course, you know, over the past number of years with COVID, we have uh, all had to have a virtual experience of faith in many ways, right? We, we had to virtually observe and assist and hear mass being celebrated. And then, you know, I think about even things like uh, 
one of uh, a webcam that I have on my favorites on my browser on my computer is a webcam that is, uh, I believe it's at a monastery in uh, Massachusetts where there is exposition of the Holy Eucharist, you know, and adoration. And I can actually click on that that favorite and I can virtually adore the Lord Jesus in my browser window. It's not quite the same as if I was, you know, kneeling in the church, you know, in, in my parish church in front of the, the monstrance. But at least it is, again, it's a virtual participation in the adoration of the Lord. And so these are, again, these are ways where we can be spiritually transported to participate in worship. And uh, it's a very good thing. And again, as you as you mentioned, we, we talked last week and we even kind of referenced Gregory of Nyssa, the great uh, Eastern doctor of the church and father of the church in the, in the um, fourth century. He is the one who, who talked about it is the spiritual pilgrimage is the more important one. The spiritual movement towards the Lord is really what a physical pilgrimage is about, is it, it is an external manifestation of something that's supposed to be taking place internally. In that sense, a pilgrimage is kind of like a sacramental, right? It is an external sign of an internal reality. Now, the pilgrimage itself is not what is saving us. It is the spiritual movement and the gifts of grace that come from that that is what's actually saving us. So that's, of course, uh, why it's a sacramental and not a sacrament proper. But the joyful thing about pilgrimages is that we often do participate in the sacraments themselves on the journey. We have mass. We have opportunity for confession. We may be anointed. You know, if, if uh, I can think often, I remember, you know, growing up in Seattle and my godmother who had cancer would regularly take a pilgrimage down to the shrine of uh, St. Peregrine at uh, the, the um, sanctuary uh, in Portland, uh, where they have a shrine to uh, St. Peregrine, the patron saint of cancer patients. And that was the first time I remember consciously ever hearing about somebody leaving their home to go to a specific place to pray and to ask for healing. And my aunt would go and she would be anointed and she would pray and she would go to mass. And that was her pilgrimage to uh, to seek healing and solace from the Lord. And the healing she received was very much spiritual healing. I mean, she died in, in, in you know, what I, I hope and pray and remain and continue to pray is the state of grace. But I know that her pilgrimage was assigned to me as her spiritual godson. Um, it was assigned to me of this is what we do as a people. We travel to be with the Lord. And so that has remained a formative um a formative sign and a, and a touch point for me ever since. That's beautiful. Makes a, a wonderful personal connection to the idea of pilgrimage. That's awesome. And what's interesting about this section of the document is that it looks at the saints as they, you know, it looks at kind of their life and their idea of pilgrimage, you know, which I thought was very interesting because I don't often don't think about when I, when I think about, for example, they talk about St. Gregory, you mentioned the Cappadocian father, St. Gregory of Nyssa. And just for the sake of our audience, the other two Cappadocians, Father, St. Gregory Nancy Anzin, and St. Basil the Great, are uh, the other two of the three Cappadocian fathers. Nice. Um, but it talks about their journey on pilgrimage. It talks about, uh, and, and when they reflect on it, they've gone on pilgrimage because they're reflecting on Elijah, who climbs um, Carmel and, and Mount Horeb. It talks about St. Ambrose. It talks about even St. Francis of Assisi. Mm-hmm. You know, when he went to the Holy Land. So it's 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 wonderful to think that there were saints, you know, um, that went on pilgrimage, that they saw this as important 
to place themselves in these sacred places as a way of deepening their own spiritual life and, and growing more deeply in love with Jesus. You know, so so it's a it's it's wonderful uh, to see that because again, I don't think about that that often when it comes to the saints, uh, which even makes me even more excited now about the idea of pilgrimage, that the saints saw it as as something that wasn't important to them uh, as well. Yeah, and you know, I'm really glad you brought up Saint Francis because it's Saint Francis of Assisi, his pilgrimage to the Holy Land, um, in the you know, so he of course dies, you know, in the 1220s. So he goes in the 1200s on pilgrimage after his conversion because he wants to preach the gospel to the Muslims. Because of course at this time the crusades had been going on and there and they had gone back and forth, right? The Christians had gone to retake the uh holy places, the the places where the Lord lived uh from the Muslims who had taken them over uh in the 600s. And so it had been back and forth Francis had this vision and this idea and this mission to go and convert the um, sultan. And what happened? He actually got a chance to preach the gospel to the sultan. Now, the sultan himself did not convert, but he was so impressed by Francis's gumption, I guess you would say. He would, he would look at it as, as his, uh, you know, he was so impressed that Francis picked up and came to him uh, that Ever since then, the Franciscans have had the custody of the holy places in the Holy Land. And so it is the Franciscans who oversee the great shrines in the Holy Land of the Holy Sepulchre, you know, at least the, the Catholic portion of the Holy Sepulchre. They, they oversee Bethlehem. They oversee all of the different shrines are all part of what's called the custody of the Holy Land, which is overseen by a Franciscan. And that is because, again, Francis went to preach the gospel. He went to to call people to repentance and conversion. So in many ways, that pilgrimage is perhaps the single most important pilgrimage in the history of the of the Catholic Church. Because because of that, how many of us have had the opportunity to travel to the Holy Land and to see these places and to visit and to um, really read what is called the fifth gospel? You know, the Holy Land itself, walking in the steps of the Lord and his apostles is to participate in a way that changes every time you read the gospel ever since, such that when I hear the Sermon on the Mount being preached at Mass and being proclaimed, I have a vision in my head because I've been there. I've been to the spot where this took place. When I pray the Our Father, and we talked about this last week, right? When I pray the Our Father, I think of that church that is on the side of the hill overlooking Jerusalem where Jesus taught the Our Father to his disciples. And it is now written that that prayer is written in all the different languages of the world, even as you said, even some I didn't even know existed, right? And so this is a direct result of Francis of Assisi going to preach the gospel there and that on, on his own pilgrimage. And thank God for that. Thank God for the gift of St. Francis and, and his uh, and his merry band of brothers that have continued to uh, to administer the holy places so that we might be really blessed by visiting them ourselves. Yes, exactly. And, um, you know, toward the end of this uh, section in paragraph 17, it talks about some of the places, you know, outside the Holy Land, obviously the, the, the ones that we, you know, know and love. Guadalupe, Lourdes, Fatima, where the Blessed Mother appeared. But he also mentioned Santa Nino of Cebu uh, in the Philippines, which is, uh, 
I've, you know, I was supposed to go to Cebu, but <laughs> COVID uh, squashed that. So mm. hopefully I'll be, I'll be going uh, there. So I've been to the Philippines four times, but not to Cebu, but that Santa Nino celebration is absolutely incredible. I've seen video of it. It's just amazing. And they talk about St. Joseph's of Montreal, you know, which is under the custody of the Congregation of Holy Cross. Right. And as a matter um, of fact, uh, yeah, of course, the great the great Canadian saint and the saint of the, the Congregation of Holy Cross, St. Andre Bisset, who, uh, you know, had this vision to build a shrine to St. Joseph, the, the simple, humble doorman who had this vision. And that shrine is an incredible. I still have not been, but... Guess what? I live close enough now that I can, and we've talked about this. My my uh, beloved bride Jules and I have talked about going to the shrine, going to see the uh, the beautiful Basilica of Saint Joseph in uh, in Montreal, uh, so that we too can have this opportunity to uh, worship and to make a spiritual pilgrimage that we don't even have to leave the continent for. How fun is that? And not only that, you may not be aware, but our good friend, Father Mike Delaney, is in charge of that shrine now <laughs> uh, there. So, yeah. <laughs> so last time I taught him, he was learning French because, you know, he spent many years in South America. Uh, and, and now he has to learn French because he's running the shrine there. So you have you have an in it and in a connection. There That's already. right. You know, and it's actually uh, I got to take a side and just say. Actually, Father Mike Delaney is the reason why you and I know one another, because he's the fellow who yeah, hired right. me at the University of Portland. So had Father Mike <laughs> Delaney not hired me, we wouldn't be having this fantastic conversation that has gone on for seven plus years on the radio. And gosh, yeah. think about it. Our, our friendship has reached tenure now more than twice over. We've known one <laughs> yeah. another 21 years at this point, Deacon. So that's, that's right. That's right. So fantastic. And a couple of, a couple of other shrines, you know, right here in Portland, we have the National Shrine of Our Lady of, of Sorrows, mm -hmm. better known as the Grotto, which uh, is, attracts a lot of people, not just Catholics. A lot of people go to the Grotto uh, to visit the beauty of the shrine there. And also the Divine Mercy uh, shrine in Stockbridge, Massachusetts, mm -hmm. you know, run by the uh, the MIC priests, the uh, Marians of uh, Immaculate Conception. You know, so there's this number of, of just beautiful places right here in the United States where people can go and visit and receive a lot of spiritual graces from being in those places and praying and, and connecting their lives more deeply to the Lord and to our faith. Yeah, this is one of the things, and I know even here in the Midwest, we have, uh, there's a the shrine of St. Maximilian Colby, Marytown, mm. uh, just, ah, uh, yes. just north of Chicago. That's awesome. uh, and as a matter of fact, uh, one of my coworkers and I have recently talked about to maybe uh, or during this Advent season, so it's really getting narrow. We got we to gotta get, get on it real quick before the end of the year, but but uh, taking a drive over there and, and uh, going to Mass and going to confession and just make a pilgrimage, you know, a local pilgrimage, again, you know, a day a day trip uh so many opportunities for those of our listeners who might be in california you have you know the different mission churches are themselves also shrines to go and visit the missions that were established by by um saint junipero Serra. those are also places to visit and to pray and to you know especially to pray for america to pray for our country to pray for conversion and and for a restoration of a, a devotion to the faith so many things so many local opportunities that we have to pray at different shrines and um yeah these are and plus even your your own humble parish church no matter how humble your church may be you know there's there's often there's statues that you know that remind us of 
the communion of saints of which we are part, the saints that have gone before us from whom we receive the gift of faith. These little places, which may not be designated as great pilgrimage sites, but they really are, you can make your own small pilgrimage, an intentional trip, an intentional visit to a statue, to a shrine, to a place to pray and to um, connect with the universal church. This is a form of pilgrimage that anyone can do, no matter your means, you know. And so that's something that I often think about as well. Of course, here I'm at the University of Notre Dame, where we have, uh, you know, our own replica of the of the Grotto at Lourdes, um, and that the Grotto on campus at Notre Dame is is very famous. Of course, every student, uh, you know, often goes, and especially at the, you know, in the last few weeks when they've been preparing for finals, lots of candles have been lit, and of course, every football weekend, <laughs> lots of candles get lit, but they're not lit just for the the reason you know not for not for victory in football or not for an a on your test often these are these are signs of great devotion these are signs of connection in prayer and uh, that's the same at the candle rack in your own local parish those are the candles represent prayer the candles represent uh, an intention that is being held in your heart uh, an intention that is offered you know in the presence of the saints uh, asking for their prayers for your own intention. And I know when I look at a candle rack, you know, and the candles, you know, as, as I'm kneeling in my parish church, the candles are lit. I'm looking at that and I'm thinking about every one of those candles represents an intention. And I try to remember every time to be like, Lord, please hear are the intentions that are being offered to you, you know, at, at this little shrine right here. Um, and that's a way that we, too, can participate in, in the act of prayer and in building up the body of Christ, really, as well, to pray for the intentions of our brothers and sisters who have lit a candle, who have made a trip, you know, and things like that. Yeah, and that's why I love uh, the physicalness of our faith, too, that there's so many really deep and rich signs and symbols that speak to a deeper reality. So something as simple as a candle, you know, when you walk into a church, you know, or you walk into these holy places, you make these pilgrimages, take time to notice what's there. You know, often, you know, we, we look at the artwork, of course, because that, that's one of the first things that catches your eyes or the stained glass windows, obviously, because th- those uh, stained glass windows tell the story of our faith, uh, depicts the um, stories from the scriptures or or uh, parables that Jesus tells, or or other historical events in the life of the church, or, uh, or just some symbolism, like you know the um, in our church at Immaculate Heart, we have a a, a pelican uh, who's uh, a mother whose chest is bleeding, and the, the the drops of blood are dropping into the into the chick's mouth. So you're like, wait a minute, what the heck does that symbolize? <laughs> yeah, you're yeah. Like, Who are, what? Because uh, and, and come and come to find out. Um, in looking at the background on that that particular window, is that in in real life, um, pelican mothers if they can't find food for their children will peck at their own chests until it bleeds, and the chicks will feed off the blood of the mother in order to keep the chicks alive. And I'm like, whoa! And so when you see it on stained glass window, you remember that Christ poured out His blood on us for us on the cross. Yeah, and when we consume the, his blood, it gives us. It's just it's it's like, yeah. wait a minute, you know. And see, so it's all these spiritual treasures just from taking a pilgrimage to your local church, your local cathedral, and noticing what's there. 
can itself be a, a, de a deeply spiritual way to enrich your own life, to to understand more deeply and, and connect you more more intimately to to our faith by 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 looking around and saying, okay, what does this mean? That's the key. What not? Oh, this looks really nice, but what does it actually mean? The tabernacle. You know, why is there a light? You know, lit at the tabernacle when, when uh, Jesus is present. Uh, body, blood, soul, divinity, the Eucharist. Why is there a light there? You know, the altar. You know, what does the altar represent? You know, I, all, all those things. I, I think are, are are very simple pilgrimages that that we can take that will really enrich our our faith lives. I am so glad you kind of talked about the the um, meaning of the art that we see, um, because and we we've talked before and uh, about you know. It is possible to take a trip to go on pilgrimage and really just see it as a, you know, as a vacation and not be, you know, it's just possible to do. And it's, it's sad when it happens, but in reality, also, as you're taking those pictures, maybe as you're looking at them later and you're, um, you have a chance to actually enter deeper into a reflection on what you saw. And even if you are, and hopefully you are fully present, you know, in, in participating in the spiritual renewal that, that is offered on, on pilgrimage, you're still taking photos and things like that because you want to share them with your friends back home and things like that. And then as you look at them, you have the opportunity to enter into that deeper reflection. Uh, I have a dear friend, uh, Liz Lev, who is an art historian who came and spoke at our fall conference uh, and spoke about the, the meaning of uh, the Sistine Chapel uh, and Michelangelo and John Paul II, kind of the theology of the body as it's depicted in the paintings of Michelangelo in the Sistine Chapel and how John Paul II, the, the great saint, John Paul the Great, um, used the images that Michelangelo had painted 500 years before uh, to illuminate the full meaning of what the body means and why the incarnation is so important. But believe it or not, we've run out of time, so I'm going to actually leave you on a cliffhanger. This is just like who shot JR on <laughs> Dallas, because we're going to pick up that conversation next week when we gather. Well, oh, we may not actually be live next week because, of course, it's Christmas. And so uh, we've got to find out from our producers. So keep your ears peeled. But when we come back live together, we will be picking up this conversation about the meaning of incarnation and the connection of that to pilgrimage. Um, but until we gather again, when we gather, Merry Christmas to you all. Uh, happy rest of your Advent and a Merry Christmas. You can connect with us on Facebook at Living Stones Media. You can also download previous episodes of the show at materdeiradio.com. But Deacon, in this waning days of Advent and beginning days of our Christmas season, might we have a blessing? The Almighty God bless you and keep you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. We'll see you next week. We'll see you soon here on Living Stones. <laughs> You've been listening to Living Stones with Ken Hellenius and Deacon Harold Burke-Sivers. Living Stones is produced at the studios of Modern Day Radio in Portland, Oregon. For more information about this show, go to moderndayradio.com. That's M-A-T-E-R-D-E-I radio.com.